Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, I suspect this conversation will get your neurons firing. We've talked a lot at MI3 about the industry fatigue that's dominating much conversation and behaviour as we approach year's end. And as much as we talk about the amazing changes and potential changes that are underway in the workplace, the home workplace and consumer behaviour, there's a gathering body of evidence that says all our Zoom and Teams meets are actually counterproductive to how our brains operate, how we interact and how we're responding to this new world. There is all manner of implications for brands and communications. So to unpack where this is headed for 2021, today we have neuroscientist Dr. Fiona Kerr, researcher Marcus Pritchard from Donata and Outdoor Media Association CEO Charmaine Moldridge, who's seen a raft of new world advertising messages capturing this shifting public mood. So welcome to you all. This is, I'm really looking forward to this one. Our our earlier conversation was fascinating. Uh, To Fiona Kerr first, uh, there is some fascinating data that's coming out on what all the screen time is doing to the chemical activity in our brains. Just tell us a bit about what's going on there and what the implications are for the workplace and human behaviour. I think you say we need to get back to more physical interaction uh, and that tech fatigue is real. Welcome, Fiona, and give us your wise thoughts. Good morning. Yes, tech fatigue is real. And and there's lots of really interesting uh, science around that. And we're learning more all the time. Um, And some we've known for ages. So I guess it's it's also in a general setting of um, not having as much physical interaction, although people home with families and those sorts of things are lucky because they've still got that lovely direct interaction with people where you have your, you know, your neural synchronization and your eye gaze and your chemical resonance um, with each other and lovely direct voice and those sorts of things. So they actually give us a lot of those um, chemicals. They give us a lot of the boosts that we need in terms of how we feel and, and controlling our environment. And, and some of those things don't happen over technology. So the interesting things around using uh, screens, whether it's to connect with loved ones or at work, is uh, some things turn off um, when you look at screens. They don't actually um, fire up. And other things are madly firing because you're trying to pick up the hundreds of micro behaviours and those sorts of things that we're actually tuned to do, but we can't do over a screen. So it's not so much that thing that people talk about if you see yourself on screen and that's you know cognitively fatiguing it's much more around your your body and your brain is very busy trying to do the normal connecting which is not possible um, in a lot of cases over screens especially around things like so we know that direct retinal alignment is still an issue so a friend of mine in in Helsinki's done some fantastic work around, yes, some of the autonomic nervous system and and psychophysiological things firing, but we still can't do that at the moment because the tech's not up to it because we don't have that direct retinal eye lock um, and alignment, even if we could get some of those other things kind of firing. So, yep, we've got a lot of those things going on. Um, And in a workplace, what's interesting about that is there's there's a whole heap of differences in things like trust, alignment, 
um, the collaboration, um, those sorts of things. When you are in completely virtual teams, depending on how you're managed, depending on how people task you and measure you and what, what is rewarded, leadership is really critical in this case uh, because things like we, we've known for about 15 years that with virtual work, um, trust is the most important and also the first thing to, to disappear. Uh, and, you know, depending on how you structure it. And we've got hybrid teams and we've got some people in that, then we can have the best of both worlds or the worst of both worlds. If you have some people in one place and other people distributed and in the workplace, it's one thing, but at home, if you're not set up properly, then that's really difficult as well. Even right down to good quality microphones change how our brains um, take in voice and what happens with voice and resonance and those sorts of things. And this is all leading, Fiona, to partly contributing to the fatigue that we, we, we're all talking about, at least in our industry, and, and, and at least, I guess, what does all this mean for how people are feeling and what they're, how they're responding to this new environment? I think you talk about a new conservatism uh, that may be coming through as a result of stress, as a, as a result of the fatigue and so forth. What's the, what's the flow there from, from your perspective? So that's one element. The other element we're dealing with, I think, is the emergent environment. The fact that we're in a changing situation that no one actually actually knows how long this is going to last, what's going to happen at the end, what the new normal, the next normal, whatever tag you want to use, you know, we don't actually know. And when that's the case, then yes, um, people revert to habit, you know, we're cognitive sloths, we tend to go back to what we know. So we become conservative. And that's interestingly, that's governments, it's organisations, it's individuals. Um, because we want internal locus of control, that does all sorts of things around um, the feeling of anxiety and you know cortisol and, and those sorts of things. Um, the fact that we have to change habits, um, are, we also naturally tend to not do because again, it's work for the brain. So lots of things push us back to that kind of we want to you know want to nest, we want to be stable, we want to do the things we used to do. Um, but the good thing. There are some positives in this as well, in terms of, you know, the, the chance for people to refrain, uh, sorry, refrain and time with family and seeing the positives on the environment and local kindness and those sorts of things have made some people look at, okay, do I want to change my habits? Do I want to work in the way I was doing? And if you are lucky enough to have the, I guess, to have the time and the resources to make those decisions, then those people are differently affected than the people that have ended up with no time or no resources. Yeah, it's a different world for them. So it's not, we're not, yes, we're all in it together, but it's not an equal playing field. You talked about um, sort of local kindness and a reframing there. Um, just before we get to Marcus, because he's got some pretty interesting data as well, this sense of though with screens, more physical interaction, more face one-to-one uh, -one interaction, do you think that's ultimately where or, as soon as we can, we need to do more of that? What's this, this sense for you in terms of work from home, work from office, physical interaction, where's that all headed? We've known for at least 15 years that there are negatives as well as positives to uh, to remote work. So what you need to do as human beings is directly regularly interact. And one of the projects we're looking at is how often do you have to be face to face to maintain trust, alignment, you know, a positive feeling of connection and belonging. Um, and it's a fascinating area. Mm. So we're, we're built to connect directly. You know, we are, we have hundreds and thousands of 
detectors to do that and it's very positive for us. Um, so it's a case of making the best um, of both worlds. There are advantages to each, so we just need to be a lot smarter. We got thrown into this quite quickly, so we're learning as we go. What's your hunch on how much in physical interaction, what's the evidence showing so far or the data? Is it? Can you give us a finite answer yet, Doctor? One of the things is um, when we are in the same space, we make neurophysiological changes. And so if possible, if you can be in the same space at the beginning of a relationship or when you take on a, uh, an employee or when you start a team, the brain activity, the physiological activity afterwards is different. So that's a really key um, area that we're looking at. And it means, it's, and we've actually always known that, you know, it's why you, you meet the person in person. It's why you get people together at conferences at the start of things. Or um, So we, we kind of anecdotally know it already, but what this has made us do is have a closer look at what exactly is happening. Mm. Let's see if we've got some time to loop back on that. Now, Marcus, um, you've just recently completed a multi-market study of, of consumers that's throwing up some really telling shifts uh, in the public mind and mood. Fiona talked about sort of local kindness and a reframing of things. You're seeing that come through as well. Maybe give us a, sort of three critical themes that you've, you've seen from your, from your recent work and welcome. Thanks, mate. In, in terms of what we've been doing at Donata is, you know, we've done a lot of research for clients and by ourselves over the course of the pandemic. So, it's interesting when you look at consumers at the start, there was a little bit of obviously trepidation, fear of the unknown, what's going to come up. But as we look at the data, as it's evolved over the last few months, we now see more and more people becoming comfortable with this idea that this pandemic is going to last longer than they'd first anticipated. So they've got concerns over health and their finances and the economy and, and what's the future look like for them. But at the same time, these concerns are starting to decrease in, in a sense. They're starting to go down. People are adapting to the new norm, adapting to the environment around them when they can, and starting to really make choices or, or start to have conversations with themselves about where do they see themselves into the future. You know, we're, we're noticing people mentioning that they're interested in something that is flexible, that is more life balanced for what they, they, they're looking for in terms of things that excite them, things that give them satisfaction, things that give them that, that family balance that they're looking for. They don't want to travel as much when it comes to work. They, they want to have work fit into a passion of theirs. So it sort of shows that people are saying, okay, is this a chance for me to reset as a person? Is this a chance for me to not only think about where I want to go into the future, but also challenge some of the thinking or some of the norms that I've previously held or, or been brought up to believe. And, and that's an interesting thing as consumers. And, and when we look then at the way that advertisers or different brands have, have interacted with consumers, it's, it's a fascinating area. We see more than less people are not showing fatigue when it comes to pandemic messages, which I find interesting as a researcher, because if I get asked one more question about, you know, what do people think of pandemic, you feel like you're going to explode. But it's not annoying people or upsetting people. And in fact, what a lot of people are saying is these brands that are acting in an altruistic way throughout the pandemic, so continuing to pay their employees as they can, offering them benefits, offering more flexibility, offering more compromise for, for their own situations. You know, consumers are connecting with those brands in a, in a better way. So having higher disposition or, or higher affinity towards the brand and saying that they see themselves into the future 
continuing or increasing their relationship with them. So, and and I think this is where we we see a lot of you know this. I guess, lowering of fear when it comes to what does the pandemic mean? Because there is that now almost communal sense of that we're all in it together. And if we can or where we can, we we lend a hand in support to other people. Good points. And I think the points that I just want to, that's feeding into that sense though, you talked about this whole thing around people looking for perhaps contemplating a change of a career, looking for more purpose in their life, looking for more into, um, engagement with their, to your point, local communities and societies. The, all that's coming through in, in, in your latest, latest round of data as well and that, that mind and mood sensibility. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in, in our latest um, work that we did on the economy, which was done and released just in September, which you can find on donator.com at our content hub. It was about when people see themselves returning to the workplace, what is that the things that are going to motivate them in terms of their career, where they want to go into the future, and, and what is this this job going to be for them? And, and you know, as I said, we saw that the, the key drivers around that was the fact that I'm not willing to travel huge distances day in, day out for a job or my career. So i.e. I want to have the shortest commute I possibly can. Second one was I want to do something that I'm passionate about. So that talks to feeding the internal person, that not just that external person that, that you show the world, it's that person and your passions and, and, and what motivates you. And the third is the idea of having a role that actually gives back to the community in which I live in. So shows support to the world, um, you know, does my bit, you know, works together as a as a tribe more so than as an individual, and and to the point that we were talking about before, it's that connecting with other people. You know, people have had I think so much time away from connecting with people other than people in their own immediate families or a few other um, associates that they're at that stage now. They they know or they believe that if we're going to to, to grow into the future and whatever the future may hold, it's probably something that's going to be best developed if people are doing it collectively and together. So they want to play their part in uh, in that regrowth. Marcus, how widespread is this though? Are we talking about all socioeconomic brackets and bands or is it is it to particular sort of set of type of uh, person or demographic or socio-demographic? Um, how, how widespread is it? Yeah, it's an interesting point. It, I mean, there are some subtle differences when you look at it by, by generations, but you would say it is a, it's an overall feel. Um, if anything, it's Generation X that probably a little bit different, maybe a little bit still uh, focused more on themselves than than community. That, that's me, isn't it? That's a fifty-year-old, isn't it? A Gen X? How are you talking about me here, Marcus? Being selfish? Well, it's me as well, mate. So it's fine. Oh, good. All right, good. Uh, no, so we're we're the ones that we're not so much necessarily um, that. But to be honest, we're not that far behind. Um, it, it, as I said, it's a collective movement. Everyone seems to be having that same sentiment. And you know, it, it, again, it's about you know, reframing the way that they see the future. And, you know, maybe in a sense, they've been forced to think about it this year when they probably thought I would never be in this situation to think about it. So, you know, six months into it, their thinking's evolved, their attitudes towards it have changed. And, you know, now that seems to be a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel in Australia and, and 2021, just around the corner, people are starting to think, well, what is this now going to mean for my life and my place in the world going forward? I know Charmaine Muldridge has a, has, has a view on this, and I just want to quit back to uh, Fiona for a second uh, on what's just been said by Marcus. Uh, Fiona, does that all make sense to you? And I guess the context here is that we've heard from sort of marketing professors, if you like, like a, like a Mark Ritson saying all this this purpose and all this brand stuff and behavioural change will snap back as soon as we get back to a sense of norms. So there's no lasting legacy change here gonna, going to happen. Fiona, what Marcus is 
has said and that argument from some, someone you may not know, but Mark Ritson, what do you make of that that snapback or is it we got lasting change going on? I think that while we actually don't know, we don't know what the future is going to be, the fact that we all are social animals and and a lot of what we're talking about is actually that it is your community existence. It is the fact that you get much more resilient if you're in a trustful, respectful, connected community. I was looking last week or talking last week on trust in societies and systems. And what's interesting is the countries where they do show much more of what you're talking about, where they are, there's a lot, they're highly valued, where they're highly engaged, the community's highly engaged in decision-making both locally and, you know, overall, um, and you have leadership, which really does make people um, more resilient and it helps them step into the new and to, to navigate um, situations and to distribute capacity to act and those sorts of things. Those countries are a lot more resilient in a situation like this. Um, and they they bounce a lot more because they have that capability to actually step out into this and to, to deal with that kind of whole emergent change anxiety that's going on. Um, so we have to, partly the answer to that question is it depends on our leaders as well as as well as us. Yeah, Charmaine. Um, so uh, welcome to you too. And and I guess let's start. I've got a bunch of questions for you, but just start with that premise of of what Mr. Ritson talks about and, and sort of uh, uh, a snapback and no permanent change. You've got some thoughts on that. What do you think's going on? Yeah. Look, to to some extent, I do agree with Mark Ritson that things will snap back. And and you know, I I'm a little bit of a reader of history. And if you look at what happened during the Spanish influenza, um, that's exactly what happened. And we're starting to see that from Western Australia, where people are back at 107% more than they were before the pandemic. So, so to some extent, Ritson is right. To another extent, I think what we're starting to see uh, is a shift in the world where the pandemic kind of accelerated that shift for me. So what I was starting to see in terms of the ads that we were getting, because we, we run a small competition for our creative, was more and more companies were being purpose-driven. Um, and and so you can, you can have two points of view about that. One is a more cynical point of view, which I don't subscribe to, which is to say that, you know, companies are using that sense of social consciousness and buying into that, or companies are actually getting a social conscience and understanding that that is part of what they have to do to get to where they are. So the campaigns that I, I saw pre the pandemic, there were more and more kind of using out of home as a little bit of a soapbox, talking about their values and what I've seen during the pandemic is more of that. And yes, yeah, some of, and, and I've also seen that kind of interpretation offered from a very cynical point of view. And then I've seen the interpretation from people generally seeing the good in it. Um, so, so I think, yes, people will uh, come back and come back even greater. But the thing that I am also noticing amongst uh, 
my my co-workers, amongst the OMA members, amongst the people that I go to the odd function. You know, I've been to about three or four things now with other people. Gee, how was that? Oh, the first one was just I wore makeup and shoes. <laughs> Couldn't <sleep. laughs> You know, wow, and I had to worry about my hair. <laughs> I think what I'm seeing, though, is more joy and call me Pollyanna, but, you know, you walk into a room and people are actually connecting way more than they did. You know, there's very little uh, of that playing with their phone stuff. There's very little distraction. People are actually hooking into your eyes and smiling and getting your phone number and calling you back. You know, there's, I mean, I know that it's only three or four things that I've been to, but I've really noticed an increase in joy when people come together. And I want to come back to that, uh, Pollyanna, but first, uh, how is the um, that sense of, of when you talk about those ads, there's a bit of debate in the industry about whether those ads are trite uh, or not not a lot of, not carrying a lot of authenticity with them. Um, I think you've done some work on this, and Marcus may have done it uh, in and around tracking how, I think, the you know, the OMA, the industry, did a, did a, a sort of a, a, a an upbeat, Campaign through the, through through the through COVID, um, sort of talking to the upside of things. Just talk us through that, and then maybe Marcus can talk to whether that's actually landing with people, whether they're buying it and saying, "Yeah, I like it." We've done a few campaigns. So our pre-COVID campaign, which we then put into market again, was our lookup campaign. You know, that's based on Fiona's research. And people respond to it incredibly well. Very quickly, though, that look up, Fiona's research is saying what? Get get your eyes off the screen or look up and look at people or what? That joy of looking at each other and looking at the environment actually creates new brain. Well, just hold that thought, Charmaine, because I do want to get Fiona. What is that? So the look up is, is everything you just talked about. Is that what you were saying earlier? Yeah, there's so much around about why we shouldn't look at our phones. And yes, we can go there. But there's this beautiful aspect of it, which is how where there's these electrochemical bags we're built to to connect with our environment we're built to connect with each other and it makes differences it it creates a not only neurophysiological and chemical changes but it also alters our sense of belonging it changes decision making it changes our level of sort of well-being and in happiness it, it there's just so many changes because that is what we are programmed to do so it was um it was actually just a a few people getting together going, hey, look, we've got the resources and the capability to actually do a public campaign on this, so let's go for it. And great, and that's where, Charmaine, you got to then. So this is where you st- you did one of these, right? So we did one of these campaigns and then we did some research with Marcus and the research was overwhelmingly positive. Um, the, the most interesting thing from that research that I think was that people said that they were they were looking up more and that they were talking to their friends about it. So it's to some extent, Paul, this this stuff about advertising is also capturing the zeitgeist, right? You know, if you're capturing what's in people's consciousness and you're and you're feeding back to it, it it does resonate. Um, and that's what we have found in all of those kind of community campaigns we run, and we've run quite a few and we researched people during it. And the one that we ran globally during the pandemic was uh, on the notion that people, when you talk to them about the pandemic, you know, they'd start with the, oh, isn't it terrible economically, blah, blah, blah. But it 
the conversation would always move to, but there are things about it that I really like. So we ran this global pandemic based on that, on saying, you know, when the in 2021, will you visit your family more? Will you exercise more? Will you go outdoors more? Will you care about the environment more? Again, we had Marcus do some research for that on that. And 90% of the people who we researched said that the campaign made them think more about the positive aspects of their lives, uh, which had had come about as a result of the pandemic. And, you know, my personal theory is that, you know, even though we, some of us were more busy than we had ever been before, we also had uh, downtime, you know, you could in the middle of the day go and hang a load of washing on the line and look at the Angophora tree and listen to the birds and think about your life. You know, there, there wasn't that kind of, I have to get to my next meeting, I've got to catch a plane, I've got to pack, you know, all of those things that fill our daily lives. So I think that actually has led to us being more introspective and thinking more about the things that Marcus uh, and and Fiona are talking about. Yeah, and so you're seeing this increasingly now still, uh, Charmaine, in terms of the sort of work that's coming through the the the, the creative, the campaigns. Is it still going that way? Into well, how how would you how would you define what what brands are doing at the moment and what you're seeing coming through the pipe? So, for example, the the brand that recently won our creative collection competition was Eclipse Mints, where they had this kind of emoji face with a mask on saying, you know, you need a mint because, again, it's capturing that zeitgeist moment where people know when they put on a mask that their breath doesn't smell so great. Right, right. So this was on the path to purchase and it was it was kind of, it was humorous, it was very simple and it was talking about a truth at, the, at this moment in time. Yeah. People have used kind of humour and what people are doing um, they've tried to kind of lighten the mood of the pandemic, but they've also stuck to the messaging. Doing what creatives do really well is capturing the moment. So Fiona, there seems to be out of this conversation, uh, you know, there's a duality going on here between sort of uh, joy and optimism and retreat and, and conservatism. So how do we sort of reconcile that, that tension of the two ends of the spectrum? And particularly if we're talking for, for marketers and brand owners who are sort of working out what should they be doing? I don't know if it's joy and optimism. I think it's more contemplation. Right. And I think that that goes really hand in hand with dealing with um, an emergent environment where you aren't necessarily in control. Um, if you have, if you feel positive um, in terms of if you feel basically safe and secure, then that can lead you towards, um, yeah, towards contemplating, towards saying, okay, so, you know, how am I going to cope with this and what is it that I want? Um, whereas if you feeling out of control and not supported and then then it's fear and so yeah so that's the difference and, and so our work in you know in looking at people dealing or workplaces dealing with this whole thing and onboarding people who don't see anyone and how technology works and how it doesn't it's it's actually about supporting um the the people being connected and trusting that environment um so that it doesn't actually matter you don't have to know what's rolling in um, in future, you actually feel like, you know, if you've sort of valued and connected and engaged, then you're all going to get through it together. And I think that's that's what it comes through what we're hearing a lot is that feeling of 
you know, reconnecting or making sure that you are connected in to other people and you're valued um, gets us through so much of this. Yeah, Marcus, um, the campaign that uh, Charmaine talked about and, and broader stuff around purpose, you mentioned earlier that these are landing and being seen as authentic. They're not sort of being seen as trite by the broad public. So that campaign that Charmaine talked about, with a, I saw some of it as well, which was sort of air pollution, planes aren't flying, air's cleaner, Himalayas are doing what they're doing and, and there's some, a whole bunch of things there. They are landing. That campaign, for instance, uh, in the out-of-home sector, that resonated. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it goes back to what both Charmaine and Fiona were saying is that because people in, an es- in a sense have stopped and, and had that chance to breathe and maybe life has slowed down somewhat for them, they're, they're connecting with brands that have these very clear messages about how that brand is trying to support the world in a genuine way. It's not about brands that all of a sudden go from I'm, I'm this focused on this and all of a sudden I'm giving back and, and those kinds of things. You know, It's not that consumers are going, oh, that's great that every brand's doing it. It's that the brands are doing it in a way that is genuine and also a, a genuine reflection of how the brand is supporting it. So it's done in that, uh, in that authentic way. And, and that's what com- you know, consumers are saying that is driving their, you know, as I said, their, their disposition towards brands, but then their potential ongoing and future loyalty because they go, you know, that's what you were during it. And so as we go forward and we move on, that's what you'll be into the future. And and I'll know that that's where the stand that you took throughout, um, you know, 2020 and however long the pandemic goes for. So, so Charmaine, I'm really, I just want to capture what you're thinking is uh, around this sort of physical interaction and the implications for the office home work life. Um, what do you think is going to happen there in, in the coming 12 months as, as we readjust? And you've been back in the office, right, for three months. It was a little bit of a, there's a little bit of um, angst there at the start. Certainly my view of the pandemic has changed as it rolls on. I don't think uh, you know, at any one moment, you are certain about anything. So you get more information and that changes. So what, what I saw in my team who met every day, and we're a small team, uh, and we went in earlier than most people. And we also, uh, we test, we survey our team once a week uh, on, on a few things that, you know, on a weekly basis, they're meaningless. But as a trend, you get to see how that's operating. And what I saw in myself, first of all, Paul, was that I was getting demotivated uh, after 18 weeks of being in, you know, like every day was the same. I live on my own, uh, which probably had something to do with it. Um, I live in a very close neighborhood, but nevertheless, you know, I was spending eight, nine, ten hours in my house kind of working on a computer. Um, And I suggested to the team that we come back, mainly because people were starting to come back and we were selling that message to advertisers. And it seemed slightly hypocritical for us to be at home saying to advertisers, you know, people are coming back. Um, And my team really resisted it. Um, And I felt pretty terrible kind of, you know, working against that trend. But, you know, as leaders, sometimes you kind of have to go, look, I have a feeling that this is going to be the right thing to do. And when we did come back within a week, the joy was there, the joy that I see. And we have still been test surveying people. And what we saw was before the pandemic, say we were at 8.5, 
during the period of the pandemic, we went down to about 7.57. And then when we came back, we very quickly within four weeks were up not just to 8.5, but to nine and 9.5. And we've remained there for the last 18 weeks. You know, it, it shifts week by week, but generally no one has gone backwards and the team feels far more cohesive. And I suppose to some extent, the team feel like they were really supported uh, during the pandemic uh, by the, by, by the organisation and by our membership. Um, and they are in a much better space. So I think uh, what I'm seeing is when people come together, there is much more of a uh, much, it's much more cohesive because we've missed that coming together uh, on a on a on a really uh, active level as well as on a passive level, you know the the compounds that Fiona talks about that we exchange. Yeah, I was going to say Fiona that none of that would surprise you, I assume. No, I'm seeing that really regularly, and it and it feeds into a number of things. It feeds into um, so we were working with people, especially say in New York, who um, were very tight. I can think of a company who was really really tight. Lots of very clever young things. It was, there was a lot of informal interaction. There was a daily feed out um, and then they had to all go home. And when their CEO then asked them over survey, do you want to come back? They said no. And and they were saying, well, why these people, what's the, what's happening? Um, and I said, and what we looked at was why don't they want to come back? And it was this um, whole thing about you coming back into a situation where you're openly faced with a new environment and, and masks and you can't be with each other and only 30% of the people can come in. And so it's cognitive dissonance. That's what they're faced with. But then I said, okay, but we always do that. We don't actually ask the other side. So when go back and ask them if they want to stay working at home. And they said, no. <laughs> so nice. So of course, it's not that simple. You know, we don't want to come in and face the world that's a bit icky because we don't know what's going on, especially over those first couple of months. But we also know that we don't want to stay alone. So um, the workplace is really interesting in terms of that balance. Um, you know, the, the people that are having often have the most trouble are the, the people say onboarded during the um, the pandemic that have never met anyone and don't have a particularly good setup. Um, and so those kind of people really, they feel like a shag on a rock. So there's, yeah, it's, it's very interesting and you can make them feel a lot better too. But there's all of those aspects that Charmaine were talking about, uh, we see all the time. And Fiona, uh, I'm really interested in this because in in the 40 years that I've been in the workforce, what I've noticed over that period is workplaces have become much more important in people's lives as we have given away community. So, you know, 40 years ago, people had, were much closer to their families, uh, to their communities, knew their neighbours, probably, you know, had a club or a church or something outside of, of, their, fa uh, of their workplace that was important to them. And what I've noticed uh, as a, a a leader of people over that 40 year period is as a boss, I've really had to change my attitude towards people because people's need in the workplace for community and society 
and for being being heard has increased. So I'm really interested in this pandemic where, uh, you know, that that lack of society and that lack of community and that lack of kind of contact uh, that people used to get from the workplace, um, how are people actually coping with that? Because there isn't anything else to fill that gap. Yeah, that's massively culturally different. So we work around um, global virtual leadership and the thing that's fascinating there is it depends very much on the culture that you're leading and if you've got an organization that's in multiple cultures you know you've got massive expectations for a very high level of of interaction to still go on and for informal interaction to still go on in some countries such as india which are very connected and highly collaborative um yet there's other countries where they actually rule quite formally that you know you, you finish at five, you go home, your family life and your work life and your friends outside uh, have to be balanced. And so those things are really critical and they have different expectations from that kind of interaction. So it's a, it's a really interesting area around um, not only what, what role work plays in your life in different cultures, but how connected and social those cultures are change the expectation that they have of their leader. They still want the leader to be connecting almost as much virtually. And of course, it's it's not the same. And it's much more work for the leader. Yes. <laughs> and there are certain styles of leadership that do it a lot better than others and that maintain that very high connectivity and trust a lot better than other styles. Well, I think we need to come around for another three and a half hour conversation on that because that's fascinating stuff. Um, Charmaine, just before we're going to wrap up so shortly, but Charmaine, before we get to sort of the key points from each of you for next year, what about mobility? Uh, what are you seeing? Uh, give us an update on, on how people are moving around now and, and what are you, what's happened and what are, you, what are you projecting in terms of this, this people movement and where they're moving to and from? What we're seeing from the data is that the, I think the lowest is New South Wales where people are back at 84%. Uh, pre-COVID levels. The highest is Western Australia, where they're back at 107%. And that means that they're just being more, they're being more mobile or moving around more than they did pre-COVID. Is that the point? Or more people are going out, right. you know? Right. So nine out of 10 people leave home every day. Maybe 10 out of 10 people are leaving home every day and going to more places. Right. In Victoria, audiences have really started to, to come back. So they are increasing a lot faster. You know, in New South Wales, it took us a while to get back. I think the, the way people are moving is very different. Uh, I think what you're seeing is, uh, you know, what I'm noticing is that there isn't as much late night stuff happening. I think people, as they realise that there are ways that they can keep themselves safe, certainly that's happened with my team. You know, they were really worried about about coming back because of the safety issue. Um, and we had to really put a lot of safety mechanisms in place to, to reassure them. And now people are a lot less scared of those things because they've seen them working. Yeah. And so you sense that obviously that's just those, those trends that you talked about are just going to uh, continue if we, start, if we stay on the trajectory we are on now, right? That's just going to keep happening. So is there, is there a point at which your industry is projecting 100% back to baseline pre-COVID? Are you, are you brave enough? I don't think that we will be back to pre-COVID until there is a vaccine and people are vaccinated. I think it would be uh, wrong to predict that. 
Um, I also think that it will take a while to get back to where we were. You know, I think people will. Um, that certainly was the experience of the Spanish flu. I don't think that it will happen because people have changed their habits. You know, so more people are eating at home, more people are going to bed earlier, or it feels like it. You know, the restaurant world seems to shut earlier, just from my my view of what's happening and the people that I talk to. So I think it will take a while to get back. But what you're seeing is, you know, there are more people in shopping centres. So people are people are congregating in particular places. There are more people in suburban streets. So you see more buses going by. Right. So it's not that you're not seeing outdoor advertising. You're just moving the way people are seeing it. Yeah, really interesting. So listen, to, to wrap up, I want to get sort of one or two key points from each of you for what the big priorities or the big themes are for next year. We've covered obviously a lot of them, but to crystallise it or distill it down. Marcus, for you, um, for particularly on the on those that are thinking about consumers and, 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 and their interaction with brands, what's one or two big themes that you think um, the, the, the market should be thinking about and, and prioritising for next year? Well, I guess um, without being able to predict how people will react to things into the future, what what you know, research that we've done this year around the advertising and around the pandemic has shown us is that I think consumers are going to continue to connect with brands that have messages about how they give to society, what they're doing for the community, how they're supporting uh, the economy, the employees, all of those kinds of things. So so brands that are that are seen to do that genuinely and in that altruistic way are going to be brands that people are going to connect with. There was one one stat that was really interesting saying that brands that have done this particularly well during the pandemic um, have acknowledged it, have talked about it in a genuine way. We see 66% of people saying that an ad like that would boost brand loyalty towards them. So it's quite strong. It, it's something that connects very well for, for any, any brand to think about. So I think going forward into 2021, whatever the new norm starts to look like and whatever the changes in society, a brand that can connect how we emerge out of this can show what they're doing to, to give back and ultimately taps into that that bit of the, the, the human that is starting to think about, you know, they would like to give more back to society and back, back to the, the community around them is, is going to be a brand that uh, is well positioned for future success. Fiona Kerr, your hunch for brands first and then for, for people. I guess it's supporting uh, what Marcus and Charman are saying. Um, it's And really that hasn't changed. Trusted media is important and, and that's brand media. That's what we read in papers. Um, when people feel like they can actually trust what they're being told, then that they will be loyal. And, and we're actually pretty good at having a meter that tells us if we can do that or not, no matter how much we spin it. Um, so yeah, being in, you know, helping to inform and engage and build trust is always going to help. And that can be the brand as a leader or the brand as a product. Um, yeah, I think that's really critical. And for consumers or the public or we as individuals, uh, the, big th- the big thing to watch there? I think that going forward, it's very much the fact that we've got a choice. Um, it's interesting looking at the types of choices people make in different countries, and that's very much around how much they feel supported, how much they feel 
that they can, um, you know, they will be safe in this environment um, and that they can make decisions around the quality of their life and actually making, you know, giving back and, and doing things that they want. So I would love um, for the decision makers as well to have an, to, to think about an environment in which people feel supported going forward and then we can make the best. Because I don't think we want to go back to exactly what we had. We want the bits that were okay, but if we don't learn lessons out of this, it's it's an even greater shame that it already is. This is a chance for us to really learn all sorts of lessons. So let's not go back to what we were. Let's improve it. Well, I hope you're right. I'm, I'm, I, I tend to be less uh, optimistic about the human condition, Doctor, than, than the rest of them. So maybe you can give me some good news. We might have a chat off screen. Charmaine, what what's your sort of sense for the things to watch out for for next year for the, for the industry? I'm with Fiona. I think, and I, I feel optimistic, you know, when I look at the announcement Woolworths made yesterday uh, about, you know, their carbon neutrality and how they're going to manage that, their energy use. Just for those that may not know, Woolworths has announced by 2025, they're going to go to renewable energy for all their stores, right? That's what they're doing. When you think about that in terms of what people are wanting, you know, people are wanting to talk about climate change. They're wanting, uh, they're wanting their governments and their brands to do something about it. And then when you hear Woolworths making that decision, you know, it's a, it's the sixth largest company in Australia like that is very, very contemporary. It's doing the right thing. And for whatever reason is behind it, I don't really care. I think it's a positive move. So what I'm seeing, uh, I think in the 10 years that I've been in this position, is that brands are shifting more towards where consumers or people's sentiment is. They are understanding that because they're getting that feedback through social media. You know, I think uh, that's a plus for social media is we can, we can tell our brands when we don't like what they're doing. Uh, they get that instant feedback. And I think also what's happening is more and more people who who have that mindset are also working in those companies. You know, once you have momentum, it can only grow. Great points. Really, really interesting conversation. And we're going to have to um, call time on it, unfortunately. But to Dr. Fiona Kerr, Marcus Pritchard, Charmaine Muldrick, thank you for a fascinating conversation. And, and as I said, I think we probably need another three hours to unpack some of the other stuff. But thank you all. Stay safe. Uh, we will talk uh, again. Thank you. Thank you. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's moi in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.